getting. And just this week, they delivered a brand new baby. Um, let's see, Raylan Elizabeth, only four pounds and three ounces, just a tiny little girl. She's about a month early. So be in prayer for Chris and Emily and Kurt and Ramona. Um, I believe Laura was down there as well. Is that right, Heather? This is Heather Swinehart slash Teagues um, right over there. That's Emily's older sister. Um, I probably should mention the older part. Oh, I got to stop saying that kind of stuff. Yeah. So anyway, be in prayer for Emily, and you know all the transitions that that brings, um, a new child and all. So just um, also be praying for our church. There are many things that are kind of in the works right now, and um, it, it could be, Lord willing, we are still praying towards being over at the new facility there in the heart of Spring Mills by Easter. That's our goal. Uh, we're shooting for March to land over there, and it's still a good possibility. I know that we don't get a lot of chance to, to kind of see those things firsthand here. Um, you should have got an email from me this week, though, that kind of updated you on things. But be in prayer because a lot of details still have to come together. We're in the middle of a lot of renovations over there to prepare it for us to have worship services and so forth. And Pastor Billy mentioned on Wednesday evening, there's a meeting for anybody who wants to see or hear information about the process. Be out there 7 o'clock on T.J. Jackson uh, Drive, and you can join us there. Well, we're going to open up God's Word. And before we do that, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer because... We're going to be studying the book of Jonah this morning, and I believe that this is a very relevant message for each of us where we're at today, and so I want God to do a work that I can't do. See, I I can tell you what the Bible says, but the work that's got to happen in our hearts, only the Spirit of God can do, and that only happens for people who have a heart to hear, and so let's go to the Lord now in prayer and ask Him to do just that. Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as we open it up in just a moment and as we uh, see what you have to say to us, Father, you would give us hearts that are willing to hear. Lord, um, there's a message here for us. Thousands of years ago this occurred, but it's still relevant for us today. So, Lord, give us, uh, give us ears. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to kind of take this cord out of my back here. Did you know I've got that thing running on my backside every single morning? It's a little bit frustrating, but we make it through that. So open up to Jonah. I remember one time trying to memorize the uh, minor prophets. Jonah is one of the minor prophets, and um, there's 12 of them. Minor not because they're insignificant, but because of the size. And so I came up with this sort of device to help me memorize the, the books of the Old Testament, the minor prophets. You can look with me at the old, go to your table contents. You can see them there, the, the 12 minor prophets. And here's how I remembered the start of them. Maybe this will help you. Okay. We're starting here with the book of Hosea. All right. You look at your table of contents. This is how I remembered it. Howard Johnson's. Remember that old restaurant, Howard Johnson? Okay. Yeah. Some of you and orange juice. You see it? Howard Johnson and orange juice. Of course, MN, because that's how the alphabet just rolls. HZ, HZM. So that's how I remembered the minor prophets. And I know you get lost in there because we don't turn there very often. Today we're going to be in the book of Jonah. And we've talked about it together for a couple of weeks. And we've said that people kind of, you know, they, they kick poor Jonah around. He's been called the reluctant prophet, the prodigal prophet, the cranky prophet. I'm here to say that this prophet is probably most like us, at least what is revealed in Scripture, 
than any of the other prophets. Now listen, all the prophets, all those, all these great characters, these men and women we see in the Bible are just like you and me. But the book of Jonah, the account of Jonah, kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit and we can see the workings behind the screen. And we quickly find out that Jonah is just like a lot of us. He kind of shrinks back. He has some attitudes that come out. He gets a little self-focused. Gets a little upset with the Lord. Gets a little upset with people. And I think as we study this together, we'll find that we are a lot like Jonah. Now, we started into it last week, and, and we saw some of the things that were going on with Jonah. A miraculous call that God gave him in chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there. Go to Jonah chapter 1. We, we saw this call of God on his life. I do want to say this, and I referenced this in your worship notes. Um, if I were going to pick a verse that best represents the book of Jonah, it would definitely be 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9. I mean, look at it there on your worship notes. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Now, when Peter wrote this, he is writing to believers. He says he is patient Towards you, believer, God's grace is available to you. God's grace doesn't just apply to the unbeliever. You and I have a great need of grace this day. Are you aware of that? Are you aware of your need for grace? Or is grace just something that those dirty, rotten sinners need? Does that come into your heart sometimes? It's blaring, glaring in Jonah's heart. The sinners need grace, but I don't. That's pride. That's pride. God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that, should all, that all should reach repentance. What we're going to see today is that Believers and unbelievers, saints and sinners, both need repentance. Need to repent before the Lord. And I trust that God is going to work in your heart in the way that He needs to. Whether you are a person who is outside of Christ and you need to repent and turn to Jesus for your salvation. Or maybe you're a saint. That just means a person who put their trust in Christ. But you need to repent today, of your attitude towards others, of your attitude towards the Lord, as your, of your attitude towards yourself. I just want to mention this, just, just a quick defense of the Bible. We don't have time to go into this for, in too much detail, but I do think it's always important to remember that God's Word stands. The First Testament of the Bible, that's what I was trained to call the Old Testament, the First Testament. Pastor Billy and I talk about that in a podcast. It actually will come out in your email today or tomorrow. And all this week, we've got a series of podcasts that are that will be coming into your email box that highlight the first 11 chapters of Genesis. But when you look at the first testament of the Bible, the Old Testament, it often comes under attack. And people say that it's not, it's, it's not true to the Word of God. It's not accurate. It's, it's, it's not really trustworthy. And really, if I were going to pick three books of the Bible that are most often attacked, they would be Genesis, Jonah, and Daniel. 
And I just, I just make, want to make a brief word about this, a brief mention about this. Genesis is often attacked because of the creation account. And people say, well, that can't be. Jonah is often attacked because of this account of Jonah and the great fish, or Jonah and the whale, or Jonah and the sea creature. Because quite honestly, that word that's translated great fish could be any of those three. And so people look at that and they say, well, that can't be. That can't be. And then another book of the Bible that's often attacked is the book of Daniel. And the reason why the book of Daniel is so often attacked is because Daniel, literally hundreds of years before these nations ever came into being, Daniel identified the nations of Babylon, Persia, the Greeks, and Rome. And so people say, this can't be. It's got to be a fraud. Jonah's got to be a fraud. There's no way a person is inside of a fish for three days. The book of Genesis has got to be a fraud. Well, how do we respond? I share with you three verses, three passages from your New Testament where Jesus identifies each of those individuals, or each of those books, I would be more correct to say, Genesis and the author being Moses, Jonah and Daniel. And Jesus refers to them in real, authentic terms. I find it interesting that Genesis is the book of the Bible that first speaks of the incarnation of Christ. Genesis chapter 3, that there would be one who would come that would crush the head of Satan. Jonah is most often associated with the resurrection of Christ. And Daniel is most often connected with the return of Christ. So how interesting that our culture... Our world that opposes God opposes him in the First Testament in those three areas. The incarnation of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the return of Jesus. Folks, we are in a spiritual battle. we got to see that. And we're not battling against flesh and blood. We're battling against powers and principalities that want to change the way we think. Want to change our attitude towards God's word. The Old Testament, the First Testament, clearly explained, now as we look at it, that Jesus was coming, that Jesus would be resurrected, and that he would come again. Well, today we're, we're going we're gonna to crack open Jonah 1 and 2. And, and before I get into the passage, I want to tell just a little bit of a story that I think illustrates a, a dynamic that we need to understand about Jonah. One time I was riding down the road on I-81. You know that road pretty well, right? A lot of us sit on I-81 a lot. One particular day, my son and I, he was just a little guy, probably about four or five years of age, still in the back seat of the car, but no longer in a child's seat. So that kind of puts him at some age. I'm not sure what it is, but you got the idea. We're riding down the road. He's in the back seat. It's raining. Traffic is moving very, very slow. We're moving along. The rain is pouring down. The windshield wipers in my truck, you know, attacking the rain as it falls upon our windshield. And I came to, I don't know what it was, exit 16 or, or exit 12 or whatever it was, but we, I could see this bridge that crossed over the interstate. And we're slowly moving forward because traffic has slowed down. And right before we came to the bridge, I said, Jacob, watch. And I clicked my finger just as we under the bridge, and the rain stopped. His mouth dropped open. How did you do that, Dad? Didn't say that, but it was written all over his face. We just a little far forward, and I went, watch. 
and clicked my, clicked my, my fingers. And we came underneath the bridge, and the rain poured down again. He couldn't believe it. My dad is a miracle worker. We move a little further, and this traffic is still going slow. We come to another bridge, as they often do at Rady One. And right before we get to the bridge, I click my fingers, and the rain stops. He just looks at me with this admiration. My dad is the greatest human being in all the world. He controls the rain and the weather and the sun. I finally broke down about a year ago and told him what it was. He claims he knew. I don't believe it. I saw his face. You know, in the book of Jonah, we have at least a dozen miracles that blow our minds. And it's easy to get excited about them. But here's what we've got to recognize. God, the creator of the world, if he wants to bring a big fish to swallow up Jonah, is that a hard task for him? God, the maker of the earth and the sky and the sea, if he wants to bring a storm, is that difficult? If he wants to raise up a weed or a worm or a wind or a whale for that matter, is his arm too short to do this? No. It's no different than me riding underneath the bridge and clicking my fingers and the rain stop. Of course, one difference is the rain didn't actually stop. Just a gimmick. But God is the maker of the heavens and the earth. It's nothing for him to do these dozen or so miracles in the book of Jonah. Okay, let's get caught up where we left off last week. Jonah's been called to the city of Nineveh. You can see it there in verse number 2. This is about 700 years, about seven centuries before Jesus. The nation of Israel, who are God's people, have had a civil war. And this civil war ended with a split of their nation. We have the north and the south. Now, the sort of the bully nation of the area were the Assyrians. They would often ride into other nations and, and take them captive. And the, na- the nation of Assyria was often bullying the nation of Israel. And rather than crying out to God, Israel would cry out to Egypt or their other neighbors and say, oh, please help us. And God would say, what are you doing? Through the prophets, he would say, what are you doing? Don't cry out to Egypt. Cry out to me. But they wouldn't. Now, shortly after Jonah, within about 100 years of Jonah, less than that really, but but shortly after Jonah, the Assyrian nation is going to come and take the northern part of Israel into slavery, never to be heard of again until the return of Jesus. These are the ten lost tribes of Israel. Where were they lost? They were lost to the Assyrians. They came and took them slave, took them captive, and nearly wiped them out. Now you say, why are you talking about Assyria? Because a major city of Assyria was Nineveh. Nineveh. Jonah who can see the handwriting on the wall. Everybody can. Everyone can see the handwriting on the wall. The Assyrians are going to capture them. The Assyrians are going to take them. The Assyrians are cruel people who hate God. They're going to wipe out God's people. You can see the handwriting on the wall. And God says to Jonah, you go there and tell them my message. And Jonah says, no. No. We're going to see today that God is preparing the Ninevites to turn to him. 
God is preparing the Ninevites, these, the people of Nineveh, that, that city. This is not some little village. Archaeologists tell us that there were probably about 600,000 people that could have lived in the city of Nineveh. That's, that's the size of this urban center. It's huge. There's going to be a revival there in that city. But before God brings a revival among the sinners, he's got to bring a revival in the saint. Before he works in the Ninevites, he's got to work in Jonah's heart. So that's what we're going to see here today. God is gracious to sinners and to saints from Jonah 1 and 2. So let's start in, let's read together at verse number 4 of Jonah 1. We're going to skip around a little bit. You just follow with me. I'll tell you where I am. But the Lord, verse number 4, hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship that Jonah was in was threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? They're grilling Jonah. They know God has revealed to them. That I'm not reading now. God has revealed to them that Jonah is the one. And so they're grilling him. Do you see their fear? Listen, these guys are going down, and they know it. These are professional sailors. This isn't you and me on a boat. This is what these people do for a living. And they're out on the ship, and they're going down, and they know it. And they cast lots, and Jonah is revealed, and now they want to know, who are you? What are you doing? What God do you serve? One of the things we're going to see is that these pagan sailors right now are more concerned about God and his power than Jonah. Jonah doesn't care. Jonah doesn't care. And they are heartbroken. God is working in these unbelievers' lives. And Jonah is shut down. Back to the passage. He said to them, I am a Hebrew a nationalist statement. He's identifying his nation, his race, if you will. That's where he goes first. I'm a Hebrew. This is pride. This smacks of pride. He knows he's a Hebrew and they aren't. And to him, that is the greatest distinction. So secondary to that is the following. And I fear the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now the men were exceedingly afraid and they said to him, What is this you have done? I just find that so interesting that these unbelieving sailors, it is, it is outside of their imagination that a person could hear from God 
and not respond. You see that? Jonah is knocked out in the basement of the boat. He's in the cargo asleep. He's not obeying God. These ones who have just now, listen, their eyes are just opening to Yahweh. They're just seeing who this God is, and their immediate response is, well, if he's God of everything, I obey. I obey. That's first love kind of response. If he speaks, I listen. But Jonah had grown cold. Maybe Jonah had heard from God so many times. Maybe Jonah was so used to God's voice. You know, funny thing about the human brain. This annoying you yet? You know what will happen very, very soon? If I continued, now, of course, I'm stressing it. But you know what would happen eventually? You wouldn't even hear it. You don't believe me? Listen. How many of you had heard that fan before I mentioned it? Oh, and it just turned off. Wow. (laughs) When we hear something over and over and over and don't respond, our ear grows deaf to it. And God has got to work to wake us up. They said to him, verse number 11, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down? See, Jonah had told them, it's me. Look at verse number 10. The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. What shall we do to you, they said, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. He says, kick me out of the boat and you'll be okay. Now remember, why is Jonah there? Jonah is there because God had told him that there was trouble coming for the Ninevites and he ran the other way. He didn't care. He didn't care that the Ninevites were going to receive the judgment of God. He didn't care. Let them die. Let them them cease to exist. I don't care, Jonah says. But look what the sailors do. Jonah says, throw me in the sea. And the sailors... They rode harder to get back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. They cried out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. You see what the sailors are doing? They're not throwing him overboard. No, we can't do this. It would be wrong for us to do this. Jonah doesn't care. They're heartbroken over this one that they just met for all we know but is a human, and he matters to them. Finally, they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The men then feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Revival number one. Revival number one. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then, doesn't say this, but and only then, 
This is the first time we're going to see the next two words. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Okay, let me just say a couple things here about chapter 1, and then we'll deal with verse number 17. I want you to notice, and we, we just read it, and, and along the way I kind of commentated, so we kind of made these points already. But the natural world is under the hand of God. The setting has changed now where Jonah heard from the Lord in the first couple of verses, and now they're at the sea. And God is using the natural world to work out his plan. You need to know that God is fully capable of that. God is fully capable of using the natural world. He's using a storm here. He's using the sea here. He's using things of nature to work out his plan. What makes you think he doesn't do that today? What makes you think that God isn't still using the natural world to accomplish his plan? He is. He is. If anything, we have the account of Romans chapter 1, where it says that the creation itself reveals to us that there is a God and a little bit about his character, about his nature. The natural world is part of God's arsenal. It's how he works. God allies himself with the natural world. When you see the stars and the sun and the moon and all everything that there is and all of its splendor, when you see the human body and the nature that there is, this is God at work revealing himself. But I also want you to see just briefly, verses 5 through 10, that God uses the human mind. He uses the human mind to accomplish his plan. This captain, let's just focus on him. We, we dealt with this briefly last week. But this captain goes to Jonah. And he reasons with him and says, would you not call out, verse number 6, would you not call out to your God? Can you not call out? Why are you sleeping? His mind is saying, our world is crashing down. Everything around us is falling to the ground. Will you not cry out to your God? God uses the human mind to prepare people for his grace. Listen, when people come to you at work and they're discouraged, when your family members break down and they're, they're heartbroken over life, when the mind is wrestling with what's going on, what makes you think that's not God working? You think he's just walking your cubicle because you're a nice guy? You think it's a coincidence that she stumbles into your room and pours out her heart to you? You have that small little view of God? Even I, when I play chess, I'm not that good, but I think two, three moves ahead. I'm thinking, I'll do this, I get you to do that, and then boom, I take your knight. I do that. If me, being a sinful human, if I can think two steps ahead, what makes you think God isn't working in the people that you know whose hearts are breaking. And listen, don't only think of the lost people. There are people in this room who would claim to know Jesus and they're hurting and their hearts are breaking. And maybe they crack open to you just a little bit. They crack open to you just a little bit. You don't think God's doing that on purpose? You don't think God's preparing the way for you to speak, for you to be used? Did you and I mean it when we said to God, whatever, wherever, whenever? Did we really mean it? 
Maybe you were a child. Maybe you were a teenager. Maybe you, saw, you prayed that kind of a prayer today during worship. God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want it to go, whatever it is, I'll do it. And then somebody stumbles across your path, and they're hurting, and you're too busy, or you're too distracted, or you're too focused on self. Listen, God is always at work. And just, just, just at one other thing, verses 11 through 15, I just find this striking to see the human conscience at work. 11 through 16, that's the account where the sailors don't want to throw Jonas overboard. They don't want to kick Jonah off the boat. The human conscience is at work. Listen, God uses the conscience greatly, both in unbelievers' lives and believers' lives. Romans chapter 2, we see that the conscience is a gift from God. That the conscience convicts even people who don't know the Word of God. Their conscience convicts them, and they, they know that it's wrong when they lie. They know that it's wrong when they steal. They know when it's wrong when they lust, and their conscience convicts them. That's a work of God. I won't take the time to do it, but I, want you, I dare you, I challenge you, that is, to read through 11 through 15, really go all the way back to verse number 5, and compare Jonah's conscience and the sailor's conscience. It's a fascinating way to read this. And look at Jonah, who doesn't care, and look at the sailors who do. Finally, in verse number 16, I think this is God revealing to us that these sailors turned to Yahweh and put their trust in him. Look at verse number 16. Then the, me, the men feared Yahweh, feared the name of God, the Lord, exceedingly. Now, you might say, well, sure they were afraid. The, the sea is like, you know, bouncing them around like a cork. Well, no, 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 that's not what this word is. This, this is one of these words in our First Testament that is a power-packed word, this feared the Lord. In the Old Testament, that's the word that's used for a person who puts their trust in Christ. Listen to Deuteronomy 6. Now, this is the commandment. This is Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2. That the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, Moses wrote, that you may do them in the land to which you are going, that you may fear the Lord your God. Over and over and over, this is the words that are used for a person who's put their trust in God. How did these sailors come to fear the Lord? How did it happen? We don't know. We don't know. How did they know the name of God? How did they know that he was Yahweh? The boat's going to Tarshish. I told you that in Isaiah 66, it says that Tarshish is the place that the name of God is not known. That's where they're headed. God's name isn't known there, but they know. I think Jonah, even in his disobedience, even in his hard-heartedness, God in his grace used him. You know, God used a donkey. You realize that, right? God spoke through a donkey. If he can use a donkey, he can probably use you. That's what we need to see here. Jonah, even in his disobedience, God used him to reveal enough in conjunction with nature and in conscience for these sailors to repent. All right. Now we're caught up. That's what I meant to cover last week, okay? So now we're to our new material for today. Let's talk about verse number 17. What happens in verse number 17? 
I mean, that's the mystery of Jonah for some reason, right? To be honest with you guys, before we get into it, I'm more impressed by the weed and the worm than I am the whale. I really am. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you'll see it in, in Jonah chapter 4. I'm more impressed by this plant that grew up over Jonah's head and gave him shade, and then this worm that came and ate it in a minute, and it died off. That, uh, that just amazes me even more than this whale. But let's talk about what happened in Jonah 1.17. Let's read it again. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, what happened here? Jonah, thrown off the boat, all right? He's going to describe some of this trek in the second chapter in just a minute. But God now is at work. Listen, there's nothing magical about the fish. There's nothing supernatural about the fish. God is the one who's doing this. Now, Jesus explained this. Jesus explained it in Matthew chapter 12. If you want to turn there quickly, it might do you some good. Go to Matthew chapter 12, verse number 40. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 40. And while you go there, I'll say a word about this. The, the word that translated great fish, in the New Revised Standard, it translates it, uh, in the corresponding word in, in Greek, that is, it translates it to whale. The King James translates it to whale. Other translations make it great sea creature. We don't know what this thing is. We don't know what it is. But let's look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 40 and 41. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, if you're holding the King James Version, it says whale. We don't know what the thing is. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men, the men of Nineveh rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. It is clear in Jonah chapter 1 that God brings this fish that swallows up Jonah. And I want to warn you against something. I want to warn you in trying to find some kind of a natural explanation for what God did. You'll see this in commentaries, commentaries and, and other writings where people, people will, will talk about this, this, maybe this certain kind of whale or the, this certain kind of fish that, that a person could conceivably live inside of it for three days and three nights. Be careful with that. We do not need natural explanations for what God did. I mean, Jesus used this to illustrate and to point to his resurrection from the dead. But none of us try to explain physically how Jesus resurrected from the dead. It was a miracle. Jonah, three days, three nights inside of this fish, is a miracle. It was enough for Jesus. It's enough for me. Now, what was the miracle? In verse number 17, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish. There's the miracle, appointed. Appointed. This means to assign or prepare. It means, it means to select from a great number of possibilities the one that will fit the need. That's what this word means. So God sent this fish and swallowed him up. Now, here's the question that I want to wrestle with with you for just a moment. 
Did Jonah live three days and three nights in that fish? Or is it possible that he was dead the whole time? Boy, that's a thought I never thought of before. Does the passage say that he lived three days and three nights in the fish? Look closely. Let's read it. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. His, well, let's go back up. It says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Jump down to verse number 6. Look what, how Jonah describes what happened to him. I was at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought, me, brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. Verse number two, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of, your translation may say, the grave. King James says, hell. In reality, the word is a Hebrew word that you might have heard before, sheol. Sheol. This is a great mystery for us today, and I don't have the answer for you. But I, want to, I just want to posit this idea. I don't know whether Jonah lived or died. I don't know whether it was a whale or a fish. I don't know if it was a sea creature. I don't know if he went all the way to the bottom of the sea and died there or if the whale swallowed him up. I don't know if he was speaking figuratively about what might happen or what did happen. But here's what I know. God protected Jonah, and more important than that, and relative to us today, is he corrected him. God steps into a believer's life. we got trouble in the sea, and now we see this interaction between Jonah, the grave, and the Lord. And here's the challenge for us today. We've already seen God work in unbelievers' lives, but now what we're going to see is God work in, in a believer's life, in a saint's life. And this is you and me. We're not the sailors running around on the ship. We're the Jonah in this tale that God had to correct and, and put on the right path in order for him to work. Can we just see how God did that? Will you follow with me through Jonah chapter 2 and this prayer that Jonah wrote? Now, it's interesting. Jonah chapter 2 is a little different than the rest of the book. Four chapters of Jonah, most of a narrative, most of a story, an account of what happened. But Jonah chapter 2 is a psalm. It's a, he, it's a work of Hebrew poetry that Jonah wrote, we're going to see in just a minute, after he was delivered. And what he reveals to us is how God worked in his life. I mean, what if you wrote a song? What if you wrote a prayer about God working in your life? Could you do that today? Could you sit down and write out six, seven, eight lines about the miracle of what God did in your life? Is it still precious enough to you that God has rescued you? He delivered you from death to life? Does it matter enough to you 
That if you had the ability, if you had the words, if you had the pen, that you could, that you could write out, that you could scribe away and write words like these. Listen to what Jonah wrote. I called out to the Lord. This is verse number one. I called to that is. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. See what Jonah's trying to do? He's, he's, trying, he's trying to put us in the water with him. He wants us to feel this. To feel how close he is to death. That the sea is crashing upon him. He's kicked back and forth by the sea. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. I'm going to die, in other words. Yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head. Do you see in there? It's different than the pop-up book you read in nursery school, isn't it? It's not him, you know, sitting in that well like, oh, this is pretty cool. He's laying on the bottom of the sea, folks. The seaweed is wrapped around his head. And it was no fun journey to the bottom. He's getting kicked back and forth. He knows he's coming close to death if he doesn't actually die. I'm at the roots of the mountains, he says. How did Jonah know there were mountains under the sea? That's my question. How did he know that? 700 years before Jesus, he's talking about mountains under the sea? I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. There is a change that happens in verse number six into seven. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. The pit is a word often used in our Old Testament for the grave. Sheol, grave. Jonah's either dead or close to dead. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He's crying out to God, oh God, save me. Save me, Lord. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. The seaweed's wrapped around my head. I'm drowning. I, I can't breathe. Verse number eight. Those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake the hope of steadfast love. Who's that? Who chases after vain idols? I'll tell you who. It's the Assyrians. That's who it is. In his death, as he neared it, he remembered the people that God had called him to. He says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And whoop, a big fish swallows him up. Now, I don't know if three days go by between the end of verse number 9 and 10 or if three days have already gone by. I don't know. 
But miracle upon miracles, verse number 10, the Lord spoke to the fish. That's a miracle. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. All right. I want to say three things for us in the last few minutes here. Just looking back, how has God kind of impressed my heart as I've spent hours in reading through Jonah and studying? And I just want to share three things with you. I've got them for the screen. They're on your worship notes. Here's what they are. Number one, recognize the Lord uses His Word, His world, and His people to fulfill His mission. Now you might say, Lord, we say that every week. We say that every week. Keep going. I think I've got it for you if you can find it. If not, just there you go. So we say that every single week we talk about the mission of God. Listen, this is why we're here. This is why we're here. The mission God has called us to. To reach people and to disciple them. So our minds should go now to the sailors and to Jonah down in the basement of the boat. God has called us to the mission. Listen, if God is prodding your heart today, respond to Him. It's a miracle that He, respond, that he, he prodded your heart. You didn't come up with that idea because you're so slick and you're so, you're so insightful. You've got these neat ideas of what might work. No. On your own, the only thing you think about is you. You say, well, how can you say that about me, Lowell? You barely know me because I know me too. Anytime God prods a person towards spiritual things, it's a work of God. If God has prodded your heart, if he's prodded your heart in any way, shape, or form, know it's from the Lord. It's not just some guilt you have on yourself. It's not because you heard some idea someplace else. It's not because you have some creative concept that you came up with in all of your wisdom. No. God has a mission for his children. And he is prodding them towards it. Obey. 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 This is what he calls us to. It's where joy is. You don't want the boring, milk toast existence of living for yourself. Jonah is so bored he's asleep. Number two. God is a people changer. He is a people changer. He creates children of His and then conforms them. You need to see that the things that are going on in your life, the, the events that, that, that are happening all around you, that vehicle that breaks down, the house repair that drives you nuts, the kids that break your heart, the spouse that gets on your nerves, the boss that, that is, just will not leave you alone, the, the back that hurts, the arm that aches, the feet that, that just continue to chase you around. You don't think your father's using all that? He's using all that to conform you to the image of his son. Allow him to do it. Thank him for it. Go to his word and learn about him. This is our God. And then lastly, and maybe most important, and this is where we'll go next week when we look at Jonah, it's this. The reality is forgiven people sacrifice to offer forgiveness. It's a truth. It's a truth. 
You know, I've talked to people who worry and wonder, am I, am I, am I a child of God? Am I really saved? Am I, am I really in Christ? Much of the Bible is written, honestly, to answer that question for you. And one of the things that comes out of the book of 1 John is this. That people who have been forgiven in Christ, they bring forgiveness to others. If we don't care to offer forgiveness, to either offer our own or to offer God's, if we don't care to offer forgiveness, you have reason today to go to the Lord and ask him, seriously, am I your child? Because he conforms his children to himself. And he himself offers forgiveness. I don't want to guilt you, but we've got to wrestle with the truth of what God calls us to. Well, that's Jonah in the whale. Next week, we'll watch Jonah in the city. But I want to ask about you in your life. Are you seeing God work in you? Are you trusting that what he's doing is from him? And are you obeying? Let's pray and talk to him now. Father, you've prodded hearts today. I know it because you always do. Lord, help us to see your divine plan, your divine presence, that, Lord, you're always with us. You're always working. You're always conforming. Lord, help us to be obedient, to not think about ourselves quite so much, but to be moved with compassion for the people around us who need you. Father, I pray that that we would see those who you're working in, whether they're believers or unbelievers, and that we, like Old Testament prophets, like Isaiah, like Jonah in this passage, would say, here am I, send me. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.